Amen. You know, um, I'm so grateful again for you guys being a part. Talking about the monsters within, our title today is I'm a good person. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Anyone here think they're not a good person? Michaela and Honest in the back, Julian, I knew that. <laughs> I'm, I'm a good person. Let me read you all this scripture in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17. It says, uh, It says, As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And stop there real quick. Look how dramatic this guy is. It's random. Jesus, what must I do? He's knelt down, got on his knees. I mean, that's that's like a huge show, right? Imagine like the disciples are probably talking about what they're going to eat for dinner that day. Jesus is like fish stick sandwiches. (laughs) And all of a sudden this guy goes, Jesus, Jesus. Huge appearance. What must I do? To go to heaven. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Let's just stop there real quick. I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. I've been a good boy, Jesus. I've been good. I've been good. Telling Jesus this. And Jesus himself says, why are you calling me good? (laughs) At the time, he's portraying himself just as an ordinary guy that has, has some things to say. So what? Why do you call me good? But to answer your question, this guy says, oh, yes, Jesus, I've been good. Jesus just said, only God is good. I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. You know, this this is such a show. Isn't that what church is sometimes? Just a show. How I appear to others. Appearances, how I'm perceived by the people I go to church with. I've been good. Oh, yes. God bless you. Yes, brother. Yes, sister. Amen. And you're just cussing in the car, right? <laughs> and someone cut you off. Maybe not out loud, right? Just in your head, so it's okay. Anyone here get a little road rage? Yeah? I remember when I moved back to San Antonio, I was like, oh, I could get into this. <laughs> Road rage. Let's keep reading. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The title of today's message was, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. If you know the story, what happens right after this 
this part of the story is the man walked away with his head hung because he was sad. And Jesus said, oh man, how hard it is for guys like that to enter into heaven. And one thing about this scripture is that Jesus has genuine love for this person that perceived himself as a good person. Our first point is appearances. Appearances. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. This morning, when I woke up, I started doing my Bible readings for the one-year reading plan. I, I felt compelled to change all the scriptures of today's message. <laughs> but I didn't have time. I don't have, I don't have a whole team of people to just be able to change the scriptures like that. <laughs> so I was like, dang, I'm going to have to really just read it out of the book and go old school. And so today we have a lot of scriptures that, that we're, not, we're going to go through them up here on the screen, but you're not, we're not going to go over them because I feel like there's, there's something extra special today. And talking about appearances, you know, we imagine monsters to be grotesque, ugly creatures that we can't even stand the sight of. But it's always so much scarier to find a monster by surprise. A monster that we were not expecting. Today we are going to talk about the monsters of appearances, of assumptions, and accusations. And these things that creep in from the simple belief of, I'm a good person. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a good person. What is most horrific of these monsters is that they do not seem like monsters at first glance. They do not seem like monsters at first glance. Appearances. You know, the Bible is, is so interesting because even when Jesus was talking to the religious leaders and Pharisees of that time, it, it, it is so prominent and relatable to today. I mean, when I read about the show of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. It's such a, a show for everybody else. Jesus even told them, you're like whitewashed tombs. You appear pretty on the outside, but all you're made up of is old men's bones, dead man's bones. And in that culture, it's even more offensive because you became unclean as a religious teacher if you were to touch something that was dead. And Jesus says, oh, you're filled with death. And yet, on the outside, they were so elegant and proper. They were given the best seats. Everyone said, oh, rabbi, oh, pastor, so nice to see you. It's such a, a, a beautiful show of elegancy and properness. And then Jesus comes, and he's not very proper at all. Think about the appearance that Jesus gives when he went into the temple, and he literally made a whip and just... I mean, doesn't that seem kind of vulgar? Jesus is going into a temple and he started shooing out all of the marketers, all the people that were selling things in church and saying, you guys turn my father's house into a den of thieves. All of this is just a show and this is supposed to be something sacred. He's just whipping them out. I can only imagine what that scene was like. I, I would feel totally confused. As a disciple, like, imagine how Peter felt. He's thinking like, oh, all right, I can get into this. Let me get my sword and slash someone's ear off. 
I could get in this. Starts cussing at me. Get the, get the blank out of here. This is God's house. Right? I could see Peter doing that. And it, God is just constantly showing us that appearances are meaningless. Appearances lead you to believe that change has taken place even when it hasn't. Jesus constantly rebukes the Pharisees and religious leaders about their wicked hearts covered by a pompous religious show. When it comes to appearance, let's talk about a good person. Good person. The person that we just read about said, Oh, Jesus, I've obeyed all the commandments since I was young. I've been a good little boy. I've been a good Christian. I've been, I've been so good. What am I lacking, he says. Notice that even when we try to put on a show, our hearts know that there's something more. That we're missing it. That we could go through all of the rituals. That we could go through all of the show. And that even our own souls will cry out against us saying, no, we're missing something. And this person had this idea that he is a good person. Even when Jesus said, only God is good. I want you to just think for a second about the Ten Commandments. Pretty easy, right? I'll neglect to the fact that in the Old Testament, there's actually over 300 commandments given through all the ceremonial and cultural laws, it's over 300. And in Galatians, it, Paul quotes, y'all like Galatians? I remember, I said that I don't have all the scriptures up here. I didn't have time, so I'm going to have to just read improv, okay? Galatians was written to the church of Galatia. And in this verse, chapter 2, a really interesting situation had happened because Peter started, even though he believed that Gentiles could be saved by faith, and that Gentiles who are, Gentile means not Jewish, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not Jewish. If you are Jewish, I don't know what to say. <laughs> but we're saved by faith. So, in, in Galatians, there's a scripture where Paul pulls out, he, he confronts Peter and says, because all of, the, all of the people that were gathered together, they were all Gentiles, and Peter lived and, and acted like a Gentile with them. Because the Jews were so specific in the commands that they weren't even allowed to associate with Gentiles. And once the, the Jewish leaders that believed that you still should be circumcised came, Peter started acting like he was Jewish again. You ever been at church before? You're talking with someone, and all of a sudden it feels like you don't exist anymore when their friends show up? Anyone ever have something like that happen? A couple nods. And... I'm finding the scripture. I told you guys it's going to be improv today. Let me read y'all Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 through 21. And this is the message version, okay? So it, it paraphrases it really well, in my opinion. Paul says, What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. 
So I quit being a law man so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. And indeed, I've been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. You know, can, can I just tell each of you, please read the first three chapters of Galatians tonight. Read through it. Because Paul also quotes in these first three chapters, he says, he quotes from uh, Deuteronomy where he says, the scriptures say, cursed is the man that does not hold true to every letter and detail of this law. Every letter and detail, cursed is the person. And then we learn in the book of Romans and we learn through Jesus Christ that every person has sinned. Every person has fallen short of the kingdom of God. Think about the, just the Ten Commandments. Everyone can keep the Ten Commandments, right? Think about this. Have you ever told a lie? Even just once? Some laughs in the back. Just the thought of how many lies. It goes to the millions and trillions. And for you to say like, no, less than a hundred, you're lying to yourself, okay? So what, how many lies does it take to become a liar? One, right? What about stealing? Anyone here ever steal anything? First time I stole, I became a klepto. I remember the very first thing I stole when I was competent of what I was doing. It was a soda can out of a vending machine. I learned this trick. I don't know. I don't think you can do them with vending machines now. So I'll tell you all how to do it. You just get real low down in there. You reach your arm all the way up. You know why it says, like, don't do it. Your hands will get crushed. It's because you can get free sodas. There's a chain in there. We're breaking chains today. (laughs) You get that chain. If you go to the right or pull it to the left, it changes what soda you get. You pull it the other way, you can pull it as many times as you want. And it will drop a soda every single time. It was this amazing gift I learned. Stealing. And I remember I stole this a Coca-Cola. My life changed forever. I was like, wait a minute. You mean even when I lack, I'm able to trust in stealing? I could do this all day. How many of you guys have stolen even one thing? I'll, I'll go as far to say this. If you've ever looked at a person with lust, you've stolen the image of that person from somebody else. So you, you're a thief. Jesus says, if you hate somebody in your heart, you ever been just so mad on the road? No, I don't, it's not that I hate them, I just don't like them. What's the difference? <laughs> well, I wouldn't like officially kill that person. Like, okay, wow, how noble of you. <laughs> he says, even if you hate somebody in your heart, it's murder. So, Everyone's done that, right? Everyone's not liked somebody, hated somebody. 
Maybe this is the last election. <laughs> oh, well, in that case, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. <laughs> and so just with, what is that, three? Three out of the Ten Commandments. And let me just add one more for flavor. If you use God's name in vain, it's blasphemous, right? Anyone commit blasphemy before? Say if you never say that, I've, I've never vocally cursed the name of God. Well, even if you've broken the other commandments, you blaspheme his name by living unaccordingly to those commandments. Your lifestyle, the, the actions spoke louder than the words. So we're all just a b- bunch of blasphemous, lying thieves and murderers. That's, that's a tough call. But how is it that we could have all of that wickedness in our hearts, but we show up on Sunday like, hey, God bless you. Yes, praise God. Praise God. How is it that we can act and appear to be so righteous and so holy? At work, that we have this idea that we're we're better than somebody else. Have you ever thought in your head that somebody was a loser? You knew someone that you didn't like and you thought in your mind, they're just a loser. Man, you took that level and appearing in your own mind to be better than somebody else. That's tough. So let's go to judgment day, okay? Let's say we're just judged by God on, by the Ten Commandments. We go up to God just like this guy goes up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've been so good. I was not as bad as Hitler I wasn't as bad as Saddam Hussein. I wasn't bad, as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer. I just did a little stuff here and there. Do you think God on Judgment Day is like, well, at least you weren't that bad? But God, I never like, killed anybody. <laughs> that, do you really have to be that bad? <laughs> that, you, that you go through the actions of doing it, even though you played it out in your mind in that argument you had? And so on Judgment Day, if we were just to stand up to the Ten Commandments, God is a righteous judge, right? If we were to just have an earthly judge that can be uh, persuaded and has human emotions, even an earthly judge will say, what the good things you've done don't really matter because you still committed a crime and there needs a punishment, right? You still have to pay for the crimes. And so just if... if a regular judge could come to that conclusion. How much more does God, being the judge of the universe, have to be pretty real? It's pretty, he has to have a, a really clear judgment. Because if you think about it, every sin that we've committed was against somebody else. Think about that for a second. Would it not be just for them to have retribution? Just because it didn't affect us that much, Think about lying. Something, well, I just, lying is just to protect myself. Well, when you lie, you steal someone's right to know the truth. How much different their life could be if they had truth? And so on Judgment Day, if we were to only have the Ten Commandments, and if we are only to believe that if we're a good pe- person that will enter into heaven, then we're off. We're not going to make it. Because the Bible tells us if we don't follow even every detail that we're cursed. 
Look at your neighbor and say curses. That's old King James stuff right there. Cursed be everyth man that do not obeyeth this law. And so if the Bible's just telling us how rotten we are, right? How messed up is that? We're, we're not really as good as we thought. We appear to be so righteous and so holy in front of others. We're really not as, we're not as great as we thought we were. Someone say appearances. All right, now we're going to close the message. Like, <laughs> we're just going to close on that note. The Bible just tells us how rotten we are, right? Did you know that the, being, this idea of being a good person is the lack of acknowledgement of one's own sin? It's a blindness to serving a greater need than your idea of a heaven ticket. Isn't that why people want to be a good person? Ticket to heaven? I don't want to be too bad because I don't want to be slam dunked into hell. I just want to be good enough so I can have a nice little patio in heaven free of all pain, sorrow, and suffering. It's almost like people have this idea of being a good person more so just to, so, to not go to any idea. Even if like, they don't believe in God, it's like, well, if hell might exist, I don't want to go there. It's not even the idea of being in heaven and being oneness with God. It's just like, well, I just more so don't want to go to hell. I don't really care about God. I just don't want to go to hell. Does that sound good? Some say no. No. Talking about appearances, the Bible says that the commandments are meant to show us how sinful we really are. Described, it's described as a rock that we are either broken by or we break ourselves on it. We either throw ourselves on it or one day it's going to fall on us and break us. The, the, the commandments are meant to show us how sinful we really are in need of a Savior. How do you get to heaven? It's by the simple belief and faith of Jesus Christ alone. You know, that's why I was sharing this story in Galatians because... In this story, Paul and the apostles, they all agreed that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone and not by our works. That the good things we do are evidence and is a fruit of our faith, but it's not what saves us. And there's a point where Peter believed this as well, but when he was around all the Gentiles saying, yeah, good job, guys, you made it. We're all loved by God. When the Jewish people came, the religious leaders that were all pompous, they believed that you still had to be circumcised in order to be saved. So the men's ministry was dying. None of the men wanted to go to the church. They still believed, they said, yeah, faith in Jesus Christ, but... You still have to follow the old law of Moses. Jesus said that he fulfills the law, but they say, no, Jesus was just like the finished, like the period on the law. Like he just completed it, but you still have to obey the old law. You still have to keep this and do that. Don't eat this. Do that. And then they were focused on this idea of circumcision because it was a representation of the covenant faith between Abraham and God. And Peter and the rest of the apostles agreed 
that is only through faith and not by the act of circumcision that one is saved. And yet, when the people that believed in these rules and these regulations showed up, Peter started acting like he was Jewish again and left all those in the corner and said, oh yes, ha 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 ha. Yes, quite. Holier than thou he was. And Paul was so mad. Someone say so mad. You ever see something that just wasn't right and everything in you just boiled? That's wrong. That's, that's not right. And so Paul, being a new, a, a new convert, it wasn't too long ago that Paul was killing Christians. Paul, being a new convert, goes up to Peter in front of everybody. And let me just kind of break. Uh, for those of you who are like understand like church tradition, usually people view church as like a pyramid almost. Like it's uh, authority figures. I'm under so-and-so and so-and-so is my leader. And it's like a, a list of authorities and figures and like, oh, well, I have to submit to so-and-so. They're right. I'm wrong. Whatever they say goes. Leader is always right. Anyone ever been, been a part of something like that before? Yeah, a couple of y'all. And so here Paul is being the least on the chain of command. And he goes to Peter. Peter led Pentecost. He's, he's the top guy right now. And in front of everybody, Paul rebukes Peter. Rebuke, that means correct or call out. In front of everybody, Paul goes on this, this exclamation where he says, is it now that you want to pretend to act like a Jew? Is it now that you want to start obeying all these laws and these rules just because they showed up? And he goes on and, and, and confronts Peter in front of everybody because he saw the indignation. It, it made him upset that something wrong was being done. Can I just read you all the scripture? I think it's really interesting. Is that all right? Someone say yes. All right, I, I appreciate that resounding yes. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. Paul is so hood. <laughs> For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth, someone say the truth, of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws, and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? I just want you to think about in that culture, that was like, like super offensive to say. You and I are Jews by birth, not quote-unquote sinners like these Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God, because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Whoa! 
You can never earn your way to salvation. You can never earn your way to be better than somebody else. Sin levels us all on a playing field. You know, some people say that the pastor is the shepherd of the church. Well, I disagree. Because Jesus himself said, don't even call someone else your leader. Because you only have one leader who is Christ. Don't even call anyone your father. Because you only have one father in heaven. Don't even call anyone your shepherd. Because I am your shepherd, Jesus says. Pastor is just a sheep in front of the other sheep saying, come on guys, let's go. We're all on a level playing field. And this idea of appearances, this idea of being a holy Christian, someone look at your neighbor and say, holy. The scales upon one's eyes that lead to believe that they are better, a better Christian than someone else based off of their level and interpretation of sin and religious conviction and practice. I want you to think about someone that that is struggling with sin. They're trying to do right. They're struggling. Now think about yourself. Maybe you're not struggling with that specific sin. Do you consider yourself a better Christian than them? Just answer that to yourself. Aren't we taught that that's what it's like? That our performance elevates us to greater glory? Isn't that it? Yet Jesus said, the greatest among you must serve the other. This idea that we are holier than someone else is is a farce. It's a lie. What what sin is is different than the other? Does the Bible not say that all sin is equal? Of course, in my mind, in our justice system, sins do have different levels of punishment, right? But I want you to think about this. If we have two dead bodies here, one died three days ago, one died three hours ago. Which one's deader? Neither, right? You're dead, you're dead. I'm not talking about decomposed, I'm talking about just dead, lack of life. They're the same. That's what sin is in us. We have no betterment over somebody else when it comes to our level or idea of holiness. In fact, the Bible says that our holiness is like filthy rags unto God. Our greatest level of holiness is like filthy rags. How can we go up to, uh, to somebody else and say, my rags aren't as dirty as yours? Yeah, yours was in poop. Well, mine was just in the toilet with poop. It's been washed with some water. It's diluted. I, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to use either one of those rags. If a rag that was used to pick up poop raw compared to a rag that was used to in a toilet with diluted poop. Both are disgusting, right? And I wouldn't want to use any of those to clean something else. Yet that's how we view our quote-unquote level of holiness. Well, mine's not as bad as yours. And then this, this final appearance. Some say appear. Too important. Too important. The pride of one's own heart that thinks that they are too good for a duty or a job. 
No one is too great to take out the trash. I want you to think about that. I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, right? Like, arguably. I'm a church planter, right? Arguably. Some people would disagree. You're not a real church planter. Y'all meet in a bar. Let's just say that I am. You guys, y'all see me here in the morning. We have a team that sets up. At any point, did you ever feel like I made it like I was not, I was too important to move a chair? Have I ever made it seem like I can't move the trash? Like, oh no, I can't take out the trash. No, right? And in the same way, neither one of us should. If Jesus, being the Son of God, was willing to wash the disciples' feet, think about how disgusting that is. Feet. I, I, I mean, I love my wife and I'll rub her feet and all, but if they smell, not that they ever do because they smell like butterflies and rainbows. I'm just talking hypothetical. I'll probably want her to wash her feet first. You think there's going to... Uh, maybe I could use some baby wipes and get them cleaned up first and then... Now think about some hairy-legged men walking around all day. You ever take your shoes off at the end of the day and and even smell your own shoe? You're like, dang. (laughs) And that's your own B.O. And here Jesus goes and he washes their feet. If he can do that, he, he did that as a precedent for us to show that neither one of us will ever be too important to do something else for someone else. You are not too important to give a smelly homeless person a hug. You are not too important to, to hug and give a handshake to a homeless person or someone that you see randomly on the street. But how many of us think like that? Oh, I don't want to touch his hands. I remember one time uh, I was at a gas station and this, this homeless guy was kind of walking back and forth, eyeing me down. I was like, all right, here we go. Pumping gas, minding my own business. And in my mind, I was thinking the whole time, hey, he was going to ask me for something. You got 50 cents, 59 cents. He came up to me, look at him, and he says, hey, man, um, I don't mean to bother you or anything, but is it okay if I give you this little Bible? Just a little compact little Bible. Like the kind you give to babies. I was like, yeah, man. I, uh, I told him, well, I already have a Bible. You should save it for somebody else. He's like, okay, thanks, brother. And he starts walking around. I like, hey, 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 man. You can't just come over here and offer me a Bible and walk away. Tell me what you're doing. He's like, oh, all right. Well, I, I'm out here. And uh, when, what I do is I just, I use the money that people give me to buy these Bibles so I can give out to others. Man. Here I thought he was asking me for something, but he was trying to give me something that would last forever. And I remember I shook his hand, thought, man, this is a, this is a Christian right here. This is, this is someone who follows God. I, went to, I had to run to the bank after that, and the teller started talking to me. He was like the manager or something. We had a good conversation, and... 
I shook his hand, and it, it made, when I shook his hand, it made me think about shaking the other guy's hand, and I immediately wanted to use the Purell that was right there. So, oh, I want to I wash my hands, because I'm OCD like that. And when I did that squirt of the sanctifying Purell, God spoke to my heart, my mind, and he said, you look by appearances, and you think that you shook a man's hand that was dirty, yet he was even more pure than the man that you shook right now that you thought hands were clean. The man that appeared more clean is most likely dirtier on the inside than the man I shook hands with in the street. Yet we are so fixated on appearances. Let me just say this as, as our church. I will, I will refuse to be, to be a part of a show. I've been a part of shows before and I don't like it. We cannot be a church that just appears to be Christians. Can't be a church that just appears to be holier than thou. We've got to really do something. We can't be people that just meet on Sunday and are these Christian ninjas throughout the week. What does that mean, a Christian ninja? It means that people are surprised that you're Christians at work. Like, oh man, I didn't even know you go to church. Not even that you're bad or angry with others, you're just quiet to yourself all the time. I didn't even know, I had no idea. To be honest, you were so quiet, I thought you might have been an active shooter one day. (laughs) You don't even talk to anybody at work. You don't shine any light to anybody else. You, You just appear to be part of the crowd. Appearances. Someone say appearances. That was just the first one. That was dope, right? And now, let's go into assumptions. Assumptions, assumptions. And I want you to look at your neighbor and say, assumption. You know, originally the text that I was going to use was the scriptures when Nicodemus goes up to, to Jesus in the middle of the night in the book of John. And it says that Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees and religious leaders of the time. That when he came up to Jesus in the night, because he didn't want other religious leaders or Pharisees to know. It says that when he came up to him, he told Jesus, look, we all know by the miraculous signs in your teachings that you're someone important. But, and he was, he was asking for more. Because he knew that all the works that they were doing, they were going through all the rituals, all the show, yet they couldn't do a miracle. They couldn't give a, a teaching that made someone actually connect with God. And so he's like, hey, look, we all know that you got something. What is it? And even though he knew the truth, he did it in darkness because he was afraid of what others thought. And in the exchange back and forth with, with Jesus and Nicodemus he talks about you have to be born again in fact can we read those scriptures we can use those ones right the scriptures in John someone say John in Espanol it's Juan you can go to the next one this is where Nicodemus finds Jesus Finds Jesus. Man, 
The devil is attacking our media today. So Nicodemus asks us, what, what's going on here, Jesus? What can we find? He says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Someone say assumption. assumption. See, a lot of times with God, we assume what he means. We assume the interpretation. We assume what God is like. Jesus wasn't talking about being born again by physically going back into the mother's womb and being born again. He's talking about a spiritual born again moment where you're given a new heart with new desires. But so often we get so stuck on the way we perceive God to act. Did you know that we make our own gods? We like to idolize what God is really like. Well, God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't say that. There's some things about God that are abundantly clear in the Bible. And then there are some things that leave us with mystery and awe. It is incredibly dangerous for one to make speculations and assumptions over what God would or wouldn't do. We are so incredibly limited in our knowledge and understanding that it is foolish for us to make up ideas and thoughts about God outside of the Bible. When we do that, we only form a different man-made God that simply caters to our own thoughts, perspectives, and desires. Think about some stuff that happens in the Bible. Think Think about the story of Abraham. It's a story where he was praying for years and years for his son. One day, he hears from God and God tells him to sacrifice his son Isaac. I would never do that. I wouldn't think of that. I, I would not... I, 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 I just can't wrap my head around God saying that to Abraham. Does that make sense to you? Does it make sense to you? It's a little mysterious, isn't it? We follow it. We be like, all right, well, there must have been something there that we didn't. See, when we have disagreements with the Bible, I want us all to understand that a disagreement is just an understanding not yet found. There is understanding in those disagreements that we have. There's some crazy stuff that happens in the Bible. Even the Virgin Mary. Like, I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have just created Jesus out of a rock or something. Or just like come down from heaven like in the second coming. I would have not even thought about him being made from 100% man. But it's almost like even that one first story with Abraham and Isaac. Isaac's only son. He's waiting and hoping and praying for this son. And God says, are you willing to sacrifice him for me? And Abraham does. That's another point I don't understand. I can't imagine having my newly born daughter. All right, girl. You're God's now. <laughs> I couldn't imagine even going that far. Yet Abraham in his faith, believing that God, even in his own disagreements, that God wouldn't tell him to do something for a reason. That God isn't just this madman 
saying to do these random acts of events just because he's bored. That he's willing to believe God in faith that is for a greater purpose. So right when he's about to do it, God says, stop! Don't do it! That's enough. I see your faith. We think, well, man, that was just like, what a, what a horrible show that was. Can't believe God did such a cruel trick on Abraham like that, just to see if he was committed. But we see that because of Abraham's willingness to do that, his willingness for God, was God not willing to give his son in replace of Isaac? Did Jesus not take Isaac's place on that altar? As a representation for all of mankind, Abraham is known as the father of our faith because of his faith it stemmed this lineage of our faith today. Did God not meet that willingness? See, we assume so much without any knowledge. People take random scriptures of the Bible and say, well, what about this verse? You can't eat shellfish, huh? First of all, I'm allergic to shellfish. Okay, praise God. (laughs) I said not to eat it. But if we just take random scriptures and try to make these wild accusations and disagreements, we'll only be left with reasons to question. See, we, we have a value that we don't ask questions that we're not looking for answers to. And I believe that the Bible, just like Jesus, is, is a whole man and he's a whole God. So is the Bible. It's a whole book. And we can't just pick and choose scriptures that we want. We have to take it in as a whole. We, have, we can't just read it from one part to this part to that part. That the the whole Bible and all the scriptures are composed to one belief and one thought, one purpose. And it's 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 formed in the person of Jesus. Someone say assume. His thoughts are above ours, and his commands are specific even to each individual. He may or may not do something different for the same or different results. God may tell me to do something and he may tell you to do the exact opposite. You know, when we moved here, God was very specific in what I believed he was telling me to do and how to plant this church. It was very different than modern day church planting. Usually the smart thing you do is you write a bunch of letters to people, get them ready, prep it. We're going to do a church plant. We want you to be a part. You even borrow some people from other churches like, hey, why don't you be a part of this church plant? Do something for God once in your life. We want you to join this church. It's going to be great. You're going to be a leader. Then you do a a whole renegade of, of collecting funds, raising funds so that when you get here, you're not just broke. There's nothing to do. You got to make it all prepped up so that your first service is the biggest one. Well, I don't even like saying what I, what, what I believe God would tell me to do because it's embarrassing. It makes me sound naive, gullible, foolish. Because when, when God told us that we were going to move back to San Antonio and start a church, one of the things he told me to do is, is, was right after I made a budget. I made a budget to save uh, several thousands of dollars 
I took on two jobs, was working 70 hours a week, plus I was saying, we're going to save up all this money to be able to, so that when we get there, we're going to be ready, have this good cushion. Contrary to what I wanted to do, I felt like God told me to double my giving instead. It was very upsetting. <laughs> Went all against my plans. But everything in me that didn't want to do it knew that I had to do it because I knew that God was just preparing me for something. And he wanted me to do it that way. And if I need to do it that way, I got to do it that way. And I've been told multiple times that I'm just dumb. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to do it like that. But that's the way God told me to do it. And see, we cannot assume over our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't, we can't tell someone else that God told you to, to not do that or to do this. Unless it's clearly, you know, morally incorrect. Y'all know what I mean? I'm not talking about moral basic sins and repentance. I'm talking about above that, higher level stuff. Y'all get what I mean? Think about Abraham. Did you know that God told Abraham to leave his home country, to leave his his home and even his families, to take his immediate family, his his wife, and and to just move and didn't tell him where to go? Didn't even tell him where he was going to settle down? You ever hear a saying before that God doesn't do things in confusion? Isn't that the most confusing thing in the world? <laughs> I want you to just leave your family. No, no, no don't even, you don't even need to get money. Just, just go. Where are we going? No, I'm not going to tell you. Just go. Is that not, is that not super confusing? <laughs> I identify with that. <laughs> God tells us to do some crazy things sometimes and we have to use faith. And we try to assume why, or if we try to assume that it has to be like that for everybody else, we're going to only be foolish in God's eyes. God doesn't tell every person to do it the exact same way. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so if you want to really hear from God, that means that I can't tell you what to do. I only have my perspective. I can hear from God for you, yeah? But wouldn't you just rather hear for yourself? You can ask me like to confirm something like, hey, do you think that this, this would be something? Can you pray with me on doing this? Because I feel like God told me to do it. Yeah, that's cool. We can do that. We can come into agreement. But you got to pray to God for yourself. You got to read the Bible for yourself for you to have your own perspective, your own conclusions. Because if not, you're going to only have my perspective and you're not going to fully understand my perspective because you haven't done things that I've done. You haven't been through things that I've been through. I can understand a scripture completely different than you. But if you only listen to me, you're not going to have you. Y'all dig what I mean? Stop assuming. Someone say, assuming is bad. Now when it comes to sin... Some say sin. You gotta say it like a snake, like sin. Like in the garden, sin. <laughs> Evil sin. Did you know that sin is not just ugly stuff? It's not just perverted stuff. It's not just things that are obviously bad, but that sin is even just simple disobedience to God. If God told you to go talk to a person, and you chose not to talk to that person out of fear that that's sin. And we got to understand that sin, let, let's look at it as spiritual. Let's open our spiritual eyes, okay? 
Someone open your spiritual eyes. Yeah, there you go. Like that. Get your spiritual glasses on. When we look at a spiritual world, sin is an entity. Something that, that desires to bring about chaos and death, disobedience in our lives. We have to understand if sin is sin, that there's a lot more sinfulness than, than just our basic sin, right? If, if there's really this war in the spirit of good and evil, of righteousness and sinfulness, you got to understand that when we give sin even an inch, it's not just a compromise because it's, it's a strategy to take a mile. In our culture, when we, when we make room for sin, it, it's like a darkness that invades. We, we literally have to turn down the lights to let that darkness in. And when we do that, it, doesn't, it will never stop. Sin is insatiable. Think about the, the, the last uh, vice of sin in your life. The last thing is like, oh, I'll just do it this once and never again. Was not the next day it even more difficult to resist sin in your life? Uh, just one little puff, one drink. The next day it was even harder, more difficult to resist. Because when you give way to sin, it's insatiable and it, wants, it doesn't want a little bit. It wants everything. Some will say everything. And so in our lives, in, in our integrities, in, in our culture, we have to look like that. We have, to, we have to look at that as real life, sin. That it's trying to consume us. It's trying to consume our nation. It's trying to consume our city. So we have to, we have to put a, a line in the sand and say, no, I don't want to cross this. And every little bit that we allow into our lives, it will continue to consume us. So that's the... the we got to understand that sin is just sin, period. Some say period. period. Exclamation mark. Exclamation mark. Question mark? <laughs> because of all this sin, we can't just assume that, oh, this is just a little baby sin. It's not that bad. Oh, this is okay because we're different now. Our culture is different. No, sin is sin. And what it does is it allows us to understand and see the need of a Savior. Can I read y'all scripture? Thank you. I want to read y'all a scripture. Y'all like Bible scriptures? Jess? Oh, I can't find it. Someone say, oh, man. Oh, here we go. I found it. Someone say, oh, yes. This, is, this all happens, this story right now that I'm about to read, it happens after Jesus healed a blind man and the Pharisees were super ticked off because he healed this blind man on the Sabbath. They wanted him, Jesus, to follow the rules. We have rules here, you've got to abide by them. And so while everyone was celebrating for the work of God being done, a move of God happening, a miraculous thing happening, all of the people that were extra religious were all mad at it. That's, that's how you can know if you have a self-righteousness in your heart is if people are saved, but you're mad at it. You're finding reasons to be upset. 
And it, the Pharisees put on this whole show and they called this blind man back and said, how did he heal you? How did he do it? This man's not of God because he healed on the Sabbath. And then the blind man said, well, that's funny that you say that because never before has someone healed a person of blindness. And you say he's not of God. Saying the Pharisees got really mad at that because you're not supposed to be out of line. You have to submit to our authority. You can never rebuke us like Paul rebukes Peter. So they threw him out and said, you're nothing but a sinner anyway. Get out of here. Anyone ever been told not to go to church like that? John chapter 9, verse 39. This is after he was thrown out. Even this, this sinner that they called was willing to make a stand for Christ. And Jesus finds this guy, says, hey, do you want to follow this guy that healed you, the Son of Man? And this guy says, yes, please show me who he is. I need to know the Messiah. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment. To give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Jesus came to give sight to the blind and those who think that they could see. Those who assume that they know what is right. To show them how blind they really are. You ever lose your keys before? I, I, uh, I'm very, I hate losing stuff, so I'm very particular where I leave things. Keys go on the key rack. End of story. My index cards, they go in my desk drawer. End of story. But how many of you guys have... You're in a rush. Can't find your keys. And you know that you left them on the key rack. I left them right here on the counter. I know it. You start going around to everybody. Did you touch my keys? Did you touch my key? I... It's just us here. I didn't move them, so it must have been you. Did you move my keys? And you just know, you just know so deep in your heart that it wasn't you. You're like, no, I don't know where it's... Oh my gosh. You need to grow up. Stop moving keys around. And then you just kind of come to yourself like, let me just check. Go into your laundry basket, pull out your old pants from the day before and find your keys. That happened to anyone ever in the history of time? <laughs> Isn't it funny that you, you thought you knew? You thought you were so right. And you ended up being wrong. See, we can't go by our heart. We can't go by our feelings like, no, it just feels right. It feels, it feels right this way. It doesn't work. Some say it doesn't work. We can't assume something to be right. We got to really... Got to do a little more digging. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And then he says, it says in the scripture that some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying that we're blind? It's very confrontational. Are you saying that we are blind, Jesus? That's just how I imagine them to say it, except in Hebrew. And then Jesus says, If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim that you see. You claim that you have it all together. You appear that you're all right. Everything's fine. Jesus says that's why you're guilty. Because you, you believe that you're righteous on your own. Someone say, dang. Someone say, accusation. 
Accusations. This is the final one, okay? You ever hear a preacher say final and you're like, all right, there's three more. <laughs> final. Anyone like that, that song, The Final Countdown? There we go. There we go, Michaela. It's the final countdown. I believe that it, all these monsters that we're talking about, appearances, these, these assumptions, it almost all leads to accusation. When we appear to others as super holy, holier than thou, we, we assume that someone is in sin. Did you know, did, can I tell you all something? Did you know that the first time I was invited to church, I had given my life to Christ by reading the Bible on my own. A couple months later, someone finally invited me to church. I say finally because it's rare that people invite others to church because they're being too imposing. But I was waiting the whole time. Finally, someone invited me. And I was told later on by the other youth leaders who were who I didn't know at the time that you had to dress up really fancy for church. And I just showed up all thug. And they told me later, after I had come for a while, I said, yeah, you know what? I, I assumed that you were just going to stop coming after two weeks. I just assumed that you were a born sinner and you were never going to change. <laughs> and I remember just thinking like, wow, <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> I, you know, now that you say that, I do remember that you never called me or texted me, <laughs> made any effort for me to be connected to the church, and that you were just ready to accept me going to hell. But thanks for letting me in on that truth. <laughs> it's funny because later I became the youth pastor at that church. <laughs> Someone that was accused of just being a loser ended up being a youth pastor there. And see, we make so many accusations about others. We just assume that they're rotten people. They'll never change. They'll never get their lives right. If only they'd be more like me, I see the light. We have so many accusations in our heads. And you know, I think some of the, the deeper accusations that go on are the ones that we hear from others. You know, the devil is known as the accuser. That's one of his names, the accuser. I think it's a sad day when we accuse other Christians and other churches of wickedness. Because we're only playing part to the devil's scheme. There's so many different opinions about like mega churches and, oh, that church, they didn't, they didn't say it this way, so they're, they're just doing it for the money. So ready to accuse but I think that the scariest monster is the accusations that come to us. The accusations that we receive in our heads, in our minds. The accusations of you being a good enough Christian. You know, I remember a point that I, I, I knew that Jesus died for me on the cross. When I, when I realized that in 2009, I, I surrendered everything to him. I thought, that, man, how could Jesus do that for me, knowing everything I was going to do? Just that love blew me away. And months later, I started developing this idea about God. And it was this idea that 
His love for me was based on my performance. That I had to be a good enough Christian for God to continue to love me. And in fact, there's so... I mean, guys, I, mean, I was pretty bad before, okay? <laughs> and there'd be times where I would make a mistake and I, I'd just hate myself. Anyone ever feel like that before? All those accusations flood your mind like, and you call yourself a Christian? How could you lead anybody else if you can't even lead yourself? How could you do that? You're not, a, you're not good enough. Jesus died for you and you can't even not do this. All these accusations. And I remember there's, there's a couple times, one time in specific, I remember I, I felt like I wasn't enough as a Christian, as a person. I remember I was, I was at work, it was late at night, it was like past 8 o'clock. I was the only one there at, at the shop that I worked at in. I was so angry, so frustrated with myself that there's, I just started hitting this, this metal truck door over and over out of anger of not being a good enough Christian. My performance was just not enough to be the Christian that I was taught to be. See, this, this performance-based love is a lie of accusation within our souls. Think about how, how much of an oxymoron that is. That God loved you so much before while you were a sinner. And now that you're actually trying, you think that he loves you less. And I remember, I remember I, I read John 3.16 like I never read before. Can I read it to you guys? I have it in my notes, but I just want to, I want to just pull it out of the Bible. Y'all like Bible readings? Look what it says here in John 3.16. This used to be one of the most quoted verses. Now the most quoted verses, do not judge others lest you be judged. But originally it was John 3.16 and it says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Man, is that God's heart? That He doesn't take pleasure in punishing the wicked? That His desire is for no one to perish, but for all to be saved? That God isn't just waiting for me to mess up. That his, his heart towards me is love. That he, his heart to me is redemption. Did you know that the Bible says that God cast your sin as far as the east is from the west? There is no east or west pole. There's only north and south. God chooses to say the east and west because it means that it's always going away from you. It's ever being tossed away. And I believe that we have, we have let this idea that we are saved by our performance, that God's love for us is based on how good we are and has caused us to lose sight that we are covered in His blood, that we are compelled by His love. And in fact, as bad as you think you are, 
You're commissioned to make a difference. I want everyone here to bow your heads and close your eyes. Talking about being a good person, being good enough to do something for God. And as you're there, I want you to just, I want you to have a moment where you're really thinking about this idea, whether you're good enough to make a difference. Are you good enough to make a difference? All the mistakes that you've done, I want you to think about those. Think about the last mistake you made. The last mistake you made. I want you to think about the shame that comes with it. The frustration, the guilt. How horrible you felt within yourself. I want you to get those emotions back out. I want them to be fresh. And you've probably told yourself, I, I can't do that. I can't invite somebody else to church. I can't pray for someone else. Look at how bad I am. Now, as you're thinking about that, you have those emotions fresh. I want you to think about Peter. When Jesus was taken away to the cross, Peter denied Jesus three times. Out of all of his walk with Jesus, him and all the disciples, this was their worst moment because they deserted Jesus out of doubt and let him be taken away alone to be crucified. The worst moment of their history of disciples. They were cowards and ran away. When Jesus rose from the dead, after all of the disciples' biggest mistake, he goes to them and gives them the Great Commission. At their worst moment in their career of ministry, Jesus elevates them and promotes them to apostles. He says, now that you made it this far, I got the greatest task in the world for you. Now think about Peter, how even when Jesus showed up on the shore, while all the disciples waited in the boat to go back to shore, Jesus, that Peter jumps in the water and swims to Jesus over a hundred yards, trying to show Jesus how much he loved him, how sorry he was. When the disciples pulled up all of the fish and said that there was so much that the boat could barely be reeled in. And Jesus said, why don't y'all bring some of those fish here? I'm going to make y'all food. And Peter by himself jumps up, runs to the net, and drags it by himself. Hundreds of pounds, but he was willing to press and dig his feet deep into the sand to show God how much he loved him, how much he was willing to do for him. Then Peter finally has a moment where it's just him and Jesus, and, and Jesus just asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter's heart broke. said, Jesus, you know that I love you. And Jesus just responds saying, just get back up. He says, all right, now, now feed my sheep. 
get back up, feed my sheep. See, even at your worst moment, God calls you to do something greater outside of yourself. The only one that's still focused on your mistakes is you. So if you're here and you're ready to leave the past behind you, and if you're ready to just accept this grace of salvation and put behind works, put behind this idea of being a good person, and you're ready to trust in the only one who is truly good, Jesus Christ, if you're ready to do that today, I want you to raise your hand with every eye closed and head bowed. I see your hands. I see your hands. So if you raise your hand, or even if everything in you wanted to, but you felt too shy, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And if you've already given your life to Christ, repeat this prayer too as a reaffirmation of your faith. Say, Lord Jesus, here I am, God. I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. I repent of my past. I turn from the way I used to think. And I put my trust in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. And that you rose from the dead. That you're truly the Son of God. And that I'm saved by grace. Be the Lord of my life. And the Savior to my soul. In Jesus' name. And if you're here and you've already... You've already been a Christian. You've given your life to Christ. But you've been believing in this performance-based love. But you're ready to move past this performance, this show, and accept the simple grace of God. I want you to raise your hand. See your hands. God, I ask that you just multiply your spirit, and your people today. That you do a greater work in their lives this moment. And that you show the trueness of being saved by grace. The deep holiness that is really there. The moment that we stop trying to work for it. We surrender to you. We put our trust in you in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.